Section 11 of Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. The Legend of Britomart. How Sir Guion met a champion mightier than himself. After the capture of the wicked enchantress Acrasia, Prince Arthur and Sir Guion travelled long and far together in all sorts of dangerous places. They met with many perilous adventures, which won them great glory and honour, for their aim was always to relieve the weak and oppressed, and to recover right for those who had suffered wrong. At last one day, as they rode across an open plain, they saw a knight spurring towards them. An aged squire rode beside him, and on the knight's shield was emblazoned a lion on a golden field. When they saw him, Sir Guillaume begged Prince Arthur to let him be the one to face the attack, and the prince agreeing, Guillaume levelled his spear and galloped towards the knight. They met with such fury that the stranger reeled in his saddle, and Guillaume himself, before he was aware, was hurled from his horse. His fall filled him with shame and sorrow, for never yet since he bore arms had such a disgrace happened to him. He need not, however, have been so grieved, for it was no fault of his own that he was dismounted. The spear that brought him to the ground was enchanted, and no one could resist it. But Guillaume would have felt far more sorry and ashamed had he known that the knight who overthrew him was in reality a maiden. The stranger was none other than the famous Princess Britomart, daughter of Ryance, King of South Wales. She was roaming the world in search of Artigal, the champion knight of justice, whose image she had once beheld in a magic mirror given by the magician Merlin to her father. So grand and noble was the image of this splendid knight, that Britomart felt she could never rest until she had seen him in reality. She dressed herself in the armour of a knight, and her old nurse, Glosse, disguised herself as her squire, and together the two left the court of King Ryance, and wandered through the world in search of Sir Artigal. Sir Guillaume, full of anger at his fall, and eager to revenge himself, rose hastily, drew his sword, and rushed at the foe. But his attendant, the black palmer, who had been his faithful companion and guide in all his former adventures, implored his master not to rush into fresh danger. By his great wisdom he could tell that Britomart's spear was enchanted, and that no mortal power could withstand it. Prince Arthur joined his entreaties to the palmers, and they both spoke so wisely that Guillaume's anger melted away. Britomart and he became reconciled, and swore a firm friendship. In those days, when knights fought together, it was often not at all in malice, but only to test their strength and manliness. The one who conquered won much renown, but the vanquished felt no spite or envy. It is a great thing to be able to lose with a good grace, without becoming sulky and disagreeable. Later ages might do well in this respect to learn a lesson from the days of chivalry. So Britomart, Prince Arthur, and Sir Guillaume then travelled on together in the most friendly fashion, seeking further adventures. For some time nothing happened. 
but at length they came to a wide forest which seemed very horrible and dreary. They rode a long way through this, but found no track of living creature, except bears and lions and bulls, which roamed all around. Suddenly, out of the thickest part of the wood, something rushed past them. How Britomart fought with six knights. The creature that rushed from the wood across the path of Britomart, Sir Gion and Prince Arthur, was a milk-white pony. On its back was a lovely lady, whose face shone as clear as crystal, though it was now white with fear. Her garments were all worked with beaten gold, and the trappings of her steed were covered with glittering embroidery. The pony fled so fast that nothing could hold it, and they could scarcely see the lady. She kept casting blackwood glances, as if she feared some evil that closely pursued her, and her bright yellow hair flew out far behind in the wind like the trail of a blazing comet. The name of the lady was Florimel. As the knights stood gazing after her, there rushed from the same thicket a rough clownish woodman, fiercely urging on his tired horse through thick and thin, over bank and bush, hoping by some means to get hold of Florimel. He was a huge, cruel-looking fellow, and in his hand he carried a sharp boar-spear. Directly Prince Arthur and Sir Guillaume saw this, they stayed not a moment to see which would be first but both spurred after as fast as they could to rescue the lady from the villain. Prittermart waited some time to see if they would return, but finding they did not come back, she again set forward on her journey with steadfast courage. She intended no evil, nor did she fear any. At last, when she had nearly reached the edge of the wood, she spied far away a stately castle, to which she immediately directed her steps. This castle was a fine building, and placed for pleasure near the edge of the forest, but in front of the gate stretched a wide green plain. On this plain Britomart saw six knights, who were all engaged in cruel battle against one knight. They attacked him with great violence all at the same time, and sorely beset him on every side, so that he was nearly breathless. But nothing could dismay him, and he never yielded a foot of ground, although he was sorely wounded. He dealt his blows stoutly, and whichever way he turned he made his enemies recoil, so that none of the six dared face him alone. They were like cowardly curs, having some savage creature at bay, who run about here and there to snatch a bite at their prey whenever his back is turned. When Britomart saw this gallant knight in such distress and danger, she ran quickly to his rescue, and called to the six others to cease their attack on a single enemy. They paid no attention, but rather increased their spite for fury, till Britomart, rushing through the thickest crowd, broke up their band, and compelled them by force to listen to peace. Then she began mildly to inquire the cause of their dispute and outrageous anger. Thereupon the single knight answered, These six tried by force to make me give up my own dear lady and love another. I would rather die than do such a thing, for I love one lady, the truest on earth, and I have no desire to change. For her dear sake I have endured many a bitter peril and met with many a wound. 
"'Then, certainly, you six are to blame,' said Britomart, "'for it would be a great shame for a knight to leave his faithful lady. "'It would be better to die. "'None of you can compel love by force.' "'Then spoke one of the six. "'There dwells within this castle a fair lady, "'whose beauty has no living rival. "'She has ordained this law, which we approve, "'that every knight who comes this way "'and has no lady of his own, shall enter her service, never to leave it. But if he has already a lady whom he loves, then he must give her up, or else fight with us to prove that she is fairer than our lady. Truly, said Britomar, the choice is hard. But suppose the knight overcame, what reward would he get? Then he would be advanced to high honour, and win the hand of our lady, was the answer. Therefore, sir, if you love any one, "'I certainly will not give up my love, nor will I do service to your lady,' replied Britomart. "'But I will revenge the wrong you have done on this night.' Then she rode at the six with her enchanted spear, and overthrew three of them before they were well aware of it. The fourth was dismayed by the knight to whose rescue she had come, and the two others gave in before she touched them. "'Too well we see our own weakness and your matchless power,' they said. "'Henceforth, fair sir, according to our own law, the lady is yours, "'and we pledge our loyalty to you as liegemen.' "'So they threw their swords under Britomart's feet, "'and afterwards besought her to enter the castle "'and reap the reward of her victory.' Britomart consenting, they all went in together.' HOW IT FARED WITH BRITOMART IN CASTLE JOYOUS The stately mansion into which Britomart and the rescued knight now entered was called Castle Joyous, and the owner of it was known to her retainers by the name of the Lady of Delight. It would be impossible to tell all the wonderful richness and beauty of this building, which was adorned fit for the palace of a prince. Passing through a lofty and spacious chamber, every pillar of which was pure gold set with pearls and precious stones, the knights came to an inner room, hung with the most costly tapestry. The place was filled with the sweetest music and the singing of birds, but the wasteful luxury they saw on every side did not please Britomart nor the knight, and they looked with a scornful eye on such lavish profusion. Then they came into the presence of the lady of the castle. They found her seated on a splendid couch, glittering with golden embroidery. She seemed very generous and of rare beauty, but she was neither gentle nor modest, and she never hesitated to gratify her own desires at any cost. When she saw Britomart, who in her armour appeared like a young and handsome knight, she took a great liking to her and thought how nice it would be if she would enter into her service, and stay altogether at the castle. All through the splendid supper which was presently served, she tried to make herself as agreeable as ever she could, hoping that Britomart would be tempted to remain. After supper she begged her to lay aside her armour and enjoy some sport. But this the maiden refused to do, for she wore it as a disguise. Britomart would not be so discourteous as to repulse the kindly spoken offers of goodwill, 
but she in her heart thought that such a sudden affection for a wandering guest could not be worth very much. When the supper-tables were cleared away, all the knights and squires and dames began to make merry. There was dancing and gambling and every kind of revelry, but through it all Malacasta, which was the real name of the Lady of Delight, was plotting in her own mind how she could get hold of Britomart. If the gallant young knight, as she thought him, would not content to stay of his own free will, she determined to detain him by guile. So that night, when Britomart had taken off her armour and was fast asleep, Malacasta went into her room. Britomart sprang up in a great fright and ran to seize her weapon, but Malacasta shrieked for her six knights, and they all came rushing in, armed and half-armed. When they saw Britomart with her sword drawn, they were afraid to go near her, but one of them drew a deadly bow and shot a keen arrow at her, which wounded her in the side. But the noise had also wakened the other knight, who now ran to help, and fighting together, they soon defeated their foes. When they were all put to shameful flight, Britomart arrayed herself again in her armour, for she would stay no longer in a place where such things were done by those who were apparently noble knights and ladies. Quite early, therefore, while the dawn was still grey, she and her companion knight took their steeds and went forth upon their journey. How Britomart looked into the magic mirror. As Britomart and the knight journeyed away from Castle Joyous, he came into the knight's mind to ask the princess what had brought her into that part of the country, and why she disguised herself thus, for she seemed a beautiful lady when she was dressed as one, but the handsomest knight alive when she was clad in armour. "'Fair sir,' replied Britomart, "'I would have you know that from the hour when I left my nurse's arms I have been trained up in warlike ways, to toss spear and shield, and to meet and overthrow warrior knights. I loathe to lead the lazy life of pleasure that most ladies do, fingering fine needle and fancy thread. I would rather die at the point of a foeman's spear. All my delight is set on deeds of arm, to hunt girls and adventures wherever they may be met by your land, not for riches nor for reward, but only for glory and honour. For this reason I came into these parts, far from my native country, without map or compass, to seek for praise and fame. For report hath blazed forth that here, in the land of the Fairy Queen, many famous knights and ladies dwell, and many strange adventures can be found, out of which much glory may be won, and to prove this I have begun this voyage. But may I ask of you, courteous knight, tidings of one who has behaved very badly to me, and whom I am seeking to revenge himself. He is called Artigal. Britomart did not mean what she said of Artigal. She only spoke like this to conceal her real feelings. As soon as the words were uttered she repented, and would have recalled them, but her companion answered almost before she had finished speaking. He said she was very wrong to upbraid so scornfully a gentle knight, for of all who ever rode at tilt or tourney, the noble Artigal was the most renowned. It would be very strange, therefore, if any shameful thought ever entered his mind, or if he did any deed deserving of blame, for noble courage does nothing unworthy of itself. 
Britomart grew wonderfully glad to hear her love thus praised, and rejoiced that she had given her heart to one so gallant. But in order to lead the knight to speak further in the same style, she still pretended to find fault with Artigal, and asked where he might be found, because she wanted to fight with him. "'Ah, if only reason could persuade you to soften your anger,' said the knight. "'It is a bold thing to imagine you can bind a man like this down to hard conditions, "'or hope to match an equal fight, one whose prowess has no living rifle. "'Besides, it is not easy to tell where or how he can be found, "'for he never dwells on any settled spot, "'but roams all over the world, always doing noble deeds, "'defending the rightful cause of women and orphans, "'wherever he hears they are oppressed by might or tyranny.' Thus he wins the highest honour. These words sank into Britomart's heart and filled her with rapture, but still she would not let her companion see it. Since it is so difficult to find Sir Artigal, she said, tell me some marks by which he may be known, in case I happen to meet him by chance. What is he like? What is his shield, his arms, his steed, and anything else that may distinguish him? The knight set himself to point out all these, and described Sir Artigal in every particular. But Britomart knew already exactly what Sir Artigal was like, and this is how she came to know it. Long ago in Britain she had seen his image plainly revealed in a magic mirror, and ever since then she had loved no one else. For in the days when her father, King Ryance, reigned over South Wales, Merlin, the great magician, had by his spells devised a wonderful looking-glass, the fame of which soon went through all the world. For this mirror had the power of showing perfectly whatever thing the world contained, between heaven and earth, provided it had to do with the person who looked into it. Whatever a foe had done, or a friend had feigned, was revealed in this mirror, and it was impossible to keep anything secret from it. The mirror was round and hollow, and seemed like a great globe of glass. Merlin gave it to King Ryance as a safeguard, so that if foes ever invaded his kingdom, he would always know it at home before he heard tidings, and thus be able to prevent them. A peasant which could thus detect trees and overthrow enemies was a famous one for a prince. One day Britomart happened to go into her father's private room. Nothing was kept hidden from her, for she was his only daughter. When she spied the mirror, she first looked in to see herself, but in vain. Then, remembering the strange power it was said to possess, she tried to think of some interesting thing that concerned herself, and thus she wondered what husband fortune would allot to her. Immediately there was presented to her eyes the picture of a gallant knight, clad in complete armour. His face, under the uplifted visor of the helmet, showed forth like the sun, to terrify his foes and make glad his friends. His heroic grace and noble bearing added to the grandeur of his figure. His crest was a crouching hound, and all his armour seemed of an antique fashion, but was wonderfully massive and stout, and fretted all around with gold. Written on it in ancient lettering were the words, Achilles' arms, which Artigal did win. On his shield he bore the device of a little crowned ermine on an azure field. 
Britomart looked well at the figure of this knight, and liked it well, and then went on her way, never dreaming that her future lay hidden in the bottom of this globe of glass. How Britomart went to the cave of the magician Merlin. After Britomart had seen the figure of Sir Artigal in the magic mirror, a strange thing happened. She grew pale and ill, and lost all her merry spirits, and she no longer cared to do any of the things in which she had so formerly delighted. At night, instead of sleeping, she tossed about and sighed and wept, or if she did close her eyes for a few minutes, it was only to dream of dreadful things and to start awake suddenly with cries of terror. Her old nurse, Glossé, was much distressed to see such a sad change in her dear young mistress, and one night, when Britomart had been more restless than usual, she begged her to say what was troubling her, and if she was secretly fretting over anything. Then Britomart told Glossé of the splendid night she had seen in the magic mirror, and how she longed to see him again. If it were some living person, there might have been some hope for her. But now there was none, for it was only the shade or semblance of a knight. So grand and noble was the appearance of Arthurgill that Britomart's heart ached with sorrow to think she should never see him in real life. Glasso tried to comfort her, and spoke cheerfully. But at first Britomart would not be consoled, for she did not see how things could ever be better for her. It was very foolish of her, she owned, to love only a shadow. But she knew the remembrance of Sir Artigal would never fade as long as life lasted, and she felt that death only could put an end to her grief. Well, said the faithful old nurse, if it is a choice between death and seeing him again, I swear to you by right or wrong to discover that night. Her cheerful words quite soothed Britomart's sad heart, and she lay down again in bed and actually got a little sleep. As for Glasse, she turned the lamp low, and sat by the bedside to watch and weep over her dear young lady. After that, Glasso tried every way she could think of to cure Britomart's grief, but neither medicine nor charms nor good advice did her any good. And the nurse began to fear the king would be very angry with her when he heard what had happened to his dear daughter. At last she thought that he who had made the mirror in which Britomart had seen the strange vision of the night would surely be able to tell them where the real man could be found. Disguising themselves, therefore, in poor clothes, so that no one would know who they were, she and Britomart took their way to the place where the great magician Merlin had his dwelling, low underneath the ground in a deep dell, far from the light of day. It was a hideous hollow cave under a rock that lay near a swift river foaming down the woody hills. Arrived there, Glasse and Britomart had first loitered about outside, afraid to go into the cave, and began to doubt whether they had done well to come. The brave maiden, with love to befriend her, was the first to enter, and there she found the magician deep in some work of wonder, busily writing strange characters on the ground. Merlin was not in the least surprised at their bold visit, for he knew quite well beforehand of their coming. But he bade them unfold their business, as though anything in the world were hidden from him. 
and Glassley told him for the last three months some strange melody had taken hold of the young maiden. What it was, or whence it sprang, she knew not. But this she knew, that if a remedy were not found, she would soon see her dead. Merlin began to smile softly at Glassley's smooth speeches, for he knew quite well she was not telling him the whole truth. And he said, "'By what you say, your young lady has more need of a doctor than of my skill. He who can get help elsewhere seeks in vain wonders from magic.' Glassley was rather taken aback at hearing these words, and yet she was unwilling to let her purpose appear plainly. "'If any doctor's skills could have cured my dear daughter,' she said, "'I should certainly not have wished to trouble you. "'But this sad illness which has seized her is far beyond natural causes.' "'The wizard could stand no more of this, but burst out laughing, and said, "'Classe, what need is there of these excuses to cover the cause which has already betrayed itself? "'And you, fair Britomart, although dressed in these poor clothes, are no more hidden than a sun in a veil of clouds. You have done well to come to me for help, for I can give it to you. Britomart was quite abashed at finding herself discovered, and grew very red, but the old nurse was not in the least discomforted. Since you know all our grief, for what is there that you do not know, she said to Merlin, I pray you to pity our trouble and grant us relief. Merlin reflected for a few minutes, then he spoke to Britomart, and told her many things that would happen in the future. He bade her not to be in the least troubled, for all would end well, and it was no misfortune for her to love the most powerful knight that had ever lived. The man whom she had seen in the magic mirror was Sir Artigal, the champion knight of justice, and he dwelt in the land of the fairy queen. He was a mighty warrior, and would fight many battles for his native country, in which Britomart would aid him. He would win again for himself the crown that was his father's by right, and he would reign with great happiness. His son would succeed him, and after him would come a long race of kings. When Britomart and her old nurse Glasser had heard all they wanted to know, they both felt very glad and hopeful and they returned home with much lighter hearts than they had set out. End of section 11 Stories from the Fairy Queen